Listeners, start your engines. Franchise Detours, episode 67. Rob here. On this episode, we're continuing along on our X-Men megaseries. This episode, I'm joined by film critic Catherine Gonzalez to talk about 2017's Logan, whether this works or doesn't as a send-off for Hugh Jackman's version of the character. Not, as we know now, not his final appearance as this character, as we'll see in Deadpool 3. As always, you can find more episodes of this show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Good Pods, and other podcatchers, as well as CrookedTable.com. Go ahead and give us a rating or review wherever you're listening to this episode. For now, let's listen to a little bit of the trailer and then jump into our conversation about 2017's Logan. Logan, what did you do? Charles, the world is not the same as it was. Mutants. They're gone now. I hurt myself today to see if I still feel. I focus on the pain, the only thing that's real. Where is she? Beneath the stain. She's like you. Of time. Very much like you. The feelings disappear. She needs our help. You are. Someone come along. Someone has come along. I am still right here. Welcome to Franchise Detours, where we believe no movie series travels in a straight line. On this episode, we're talking the ninth X Men, not including Deadpool's ninth X Men film. Uh, but it's not. It's just, I don't even know. Would you kind of would you consider this an X Men film in general? Because it, it doesn't have the ensemble that yeah, most of yeah. the other films have in the same way. I would say. I mean, it has. I guess it has to be considered like an X Men movie, but not. Yeah, not in the same vein. Like, yeah. it's different. Even even Adjacent. more so than yeah, <laughs> like a spinoff or something, but not a spinoff because it's like an ending. But right, right. It's it's a we will we'll talk about this yeah. film's unique place in the complicated uh, X Men timeline. Uh, but we're, of course, we're going to be talking 2017's Logan, and I am honored to welcome to the show Catherine Gonzalez. Welcome to the podcast. Yes, thanks for having me again. It's good yeah, to be here. Absolutely. So tell people a little bit about uh, who you are and everything you have going on in the world. Oh, wow. Uh, <laughs> it's the one thing I don't like talking about myself, but yeah, I, what I have going on is I'm a freelance critic. I have my own website, Shuffle Online, podcasting. Um, I am a bit of a hiatus. So I've just been doing like guest podcasting for a bit because yeah. my full-time day job is taking a, you know, how dare it take all my time, but right. yeah, exactly. <laughs> the responsibilities. Um, so I've been kind of like just being more selective in my uh, critiquing and podcasting, but still very much doing that stuff. 
I've been writing for um, Awards Watch lately and then uh, guesting on all these cool pods like yours. So it's been fun to kind of be a little bit more um, thoughtful and and more, um, I don't know, just selective in a way, but like in the the things I'm doing, because before I used to like consume so, I mean, I still consume a lot, but not for the purpose of just talking about, you know, like, so I've had a more of a balance now of like watching things for fun and taking it back old school love of movies. And then just kind of like choosing the ones to talk about, um, not having to do every single one, which I know can be overwhelming. I don't know if you can relate to that at all, but yeah. Yeah. And I, especially with the podcasting side of it, like I, I think that people who aren't podcasting aren't in that world. I think they don't realize maybe how different of an experience creating, producing your own show is versus guesting on a show. It's like Mm -hmm. in some ways less nerve wracking, but in some ways more nerve wracking because you're, Mm -hmm. you're entering somebody else's space. Yeah. So it's, yeah. (laughs) But luckily I've been on, I I mean, I've been on yours before, so like it's not as new. So it feels like, Oh, I'm just coming back for, you know, talk to a friend about movies, but yeah, it can be, sometimes I do get a little bit, uh, when it's a new, new one, I'm like, oh no. <laughs> so it's, right. it's, it's, it is nerve wracking, but it's always fun. It's talking about movies in any capacity, writing, do, you know, making movies, all of that. I just, I love all aspects of it. So it's, I, I can't complain. It's also fun to be talking to you about a movie that isn't one of the early 2000s, one of the Lord of the Rings films. Because <laughs> we've, we've, we've talked a lot this year, actually, yeah, mostly yeah. On, <laughs> on binge movies, talking about uh, the movies of the early 2000s. So it's, it's fun that, uh, that to, to be mixing it up a little bit here. Yeah, yeah, it's fun. We're, it's a modern times. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Ironically, with the franchise, it started in the early 2000s as well. Yep. So going into, before we talk about Logan uh, itself, what was your, your history with the X-Men characters? Did you watch the animated series or the co- read the comics? And where were you at when the movies started, like as far as your familiarity with them? Yes. Yeah, so I, let's see, the first one came out in 2000. So I was, I was a, probably a teenager then. Um, I, I did not read any of the comics. I knew of the X-Men from like my brothers. I think they had watched the animated show or maybe I caught it. I knew I had seen the comics, like at least, you know, the pages and stuff like that. And, and some of the, the, the toys and things, but I had never really gotten into it, but I love this genre, this, you know, kind of, I mean, it was, it's weird because I'm, I'm thinking about it now and I'm like, it, we don't have like, we didn't have like the Marvel or the DCEU like universe that it was back in 2000. So this was sort of like a unique, like big blockbuster movie of this like comic book thing. I guess we had had like the Batmans and what other ones were there back then. I don't know. Some of the ones that had <laughs> yeah. flopped, I guess. In the, so, in the, it's, it's, it's funny. Yeah. Because what, what keeps coming up is that, X-Men came out in that era between Batman and Robin and Batman Begins where there was like, yeah. it was like a no man's land for, for yeah. comic book movies. So it felt like thinking about it now, I'm like, oh, it, it was, it was really like on its own, you know, like kind of yeah. out there just testing the waters, I guess, or, or being kind of like the scapegoat, <laughs> not knowing it, you know, they were just making right. this thing. So even, and then looking back for this episode and, and, and thinking about it, I was like, oh, it's actually kind of cool. Like, I, I don't think I appreciate this franchise as much you know we, we've been consumed by the marvel and dceu and all of that stuff but this one i mean 
I don't know what even, what is it like Marvel or something? I don't know. Now they're bought by whoever. So I'm not yeah. exactly sure what you would call this, but it was like in its own little thing. And so I remember watching the movie, the first one, and I was like, oh, cool. It's like, you know, I, I really enjoyed it. I loved all the characters. I really loved like Anna Paquin, who was, uh, I think, Rogue. Mm-hmm. And then Hugh Jackman and uh, um, James Marsden and, you know, Professor X. Like, I just, I loved it. I loved all the sci-fi stuff and the 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 school of, you know, all the, the looking at all the powers. I thought it was super cool. And so I, I did, I get it. I got into it since then. And then I remember watching like X2 and then, you know, I watched all of them, I think, except for, no, I think I've, I've seen all of them at least once. I used to watch the first one a lot because I really liked that one. And I still think about it a lot because it gives that, I guess the two thousands feel, you know, like we, we've yeah. been talking, we've talked a lot about it, that era with different movies and there really is something to it now. And I can't believe now it's what, 23 years ago. So mm-hmm. it's like our eighties. Yeah. <laughs> Pretty much. So it's like, it's very of its time. And so I look back at it fondly. I mean, I haven't watched it in a long time, but I remember having really good memories with it and this franchise, it got a little hokey down the road, but, um, I don't know, very unique. And I kind of, you've inspired me after this. Like I watched Logan for this. I didn't have time to watch any of the other ones and I haven't watched them in a while, but I really kind of want to watch them all again <laughs> and, and go in order and see how I feel about them. Well, I mean, it's, it's a unique experience because of how much cinema, like we were saying, like you were saying with the early 2000s, the industry has changed so much. Like that, that was really the, the, complete domination of IP mm-hmm. stuff in the early 2000s, as, as we've discussed with Jason a couple of times. Yeah. Feels and, so innocent too. I don't yeah. know why. <laughs> yeah. And then the, the, just the genre of superhero films has changed because this movie and Spider-Man really made Marvel movies legitimate so mm-hmm. that they could make Iron Man and start the MCU. Yeah. Uh, and then this concluded with Dark Phoenix, which people will hear next episode the same year as Avengers Endgame concluded there, you know, the oh, Infinity yeah. Saga. Oh, so yeah. I forgot running, about that. It's sort of parallel and then intersecting in different ways because this franchise sort of evolved into a shared universe. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then you have things like Logan, which is kind of the third part of a Wolverine trilogy, <laughs> kind of its own beast, kind of, you know, kind of related to the rest of the films and also kind of separate feels very kind of Wonder Woman in that way, mm-hmm. in that it it's technically ties in, but not really. If you want to just ignore everything else, you can watch it isolated from the rest of the franchise. But yeah, it's 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 a wild one. To the fact that the X-Men films uh, that Fox produced before Disney uh, acquired the company and the Spider-Man films starring Tobey Maguire and Andrew Garfield have both kind of gotten grandfathered into the MCU in some mm-hmm. ways. Yeah. I think speaks a lot to their, you know, their, their endurance, and their legacy. Yeah. I mean, I think I, I do appreciate it more now and it's, it's, it's its own thing to study. I think, I think we've been focusing a lot on the Marvel stuff, but there's been all the, you know, like the X-Men, I think was one of the catalysts that started it. Like you said, like there was four movies before what Iron Man came out. Yeah. And so, and I think these get kind of forgotten because it did get a little wonky 
and it didn't like, and then it got intermixed with everything. (laughs) So people kind of, not that they forgot, but even I was like, I don't know what's going on there. And then I don't know if like the investment kind of, you just got kind of like sideswiped or something, but I was always really excited for them. And then when they did like the, the future pat the days of future past and like James McAvoy and uh, Michael Fassbender came in. I was like, Oh, that's pretty cool. You know, it's like young professor X and Magneto. And I, I don't know. I, it kind of like rebooted it. Cause I was like, Oh, the possibilities are endless. And then I liked the way they, you know, Wolverine can kind of stay as himself. You know, it, it was just cool to have all those characters in that sense. I forget which one is the one that I didn't like, which, kind of pains me or I didn't it's not that I didn't like it it's the it just remind Oscar Isaac is playing yeah. the the dude X-Men Apocalypse Apocalypse yeah and I was like this is really <laughs> bad it looks like a TV movie and it just reminds me of Power Rangers like the Dr. Ooze like he yeah, reminded me yeah. of the Dr. Ooze the he, purple, he, he, do, purple he does that yeah, he has those vibes for sure <laughs> yeah yeah so that's where I was like oh this is not like it it also felt I think like they had given up on this, like whoever was making them or whatever, it felt like everyone was just there to like finish it off because it was in their contracts. Like I'm sure there was people giving it a hundred percent, but the feeling that those, like the last movies kind of give, it just felt like, Oh, we just got to do this and get, get it over with, you know? And well, I and, think- and that's the feeling that kind of, I think in the, in the, in the later ones kind of, you feel it as an audience member of like, Oh, it feels like they're not hundred percent in this anymore. So why should yeah. we be? Well, I think the problem there is that the the franchise with, and I'm one of the people that like admits Apocalypse is not a great movie, but still kind of has like a soft spot for it as kind of like yeah, just a campy yeah. guilty pleasure thing. <laughs> but the, I think the issue with that movie is that first of all, the scale they blow it out so big mm-hmm. that, and then and then don't really justify the stakes in, yeah. in the way that it needs to. Uh, and then also you're introduced to young Storm and Cyclops and Jean Grey. And so the franchise kind of feels like it's come full circle. So you're, you're oh, we're back to this. So we're done now. It kind of has that sense of finality, that film. And then this movie, spoilers for Logan, kills off the marquee character, the Robert Downey Jr. essentially of <laughs> this franchise. So then when Dark Phoenix comes out, which people will, again will hear next episode, a lot of people, a lot of audience members were like, "Oh no, I'm I'm good." <laughs> There's a, yeah, yeah. <laughs> we, we're done with that. You killed you, Jackman's uh, Wolverine. We saw how the the other people from the original films are brought into the fold. So, mm-hmm. what more is there to explore? We've done the Dark Phoenix saga before, so it's like, yeah, I think that, that they were kind of running on fumes at that point. Yeah. And I guess Wolverine, I mean, Hugh Jackman, I know he does he does get credit for it, but I don't know if he gets as much credit as like Robert Downey Jr. And and then seeing Logan, like he really is an anchor in this whole franchise. Yeah. And watching Logan, I I kind of had a more of an appreciation for him with this character and just how good of a casting it was and like will ever get in terms like of a superhero. Like he just fits it so well as Wolverine. And I mean, we have other good casting in the other superhero movies as well, but like, this is one of like the iconic ones where I can understand the need to bring him back for like the Deadpool three, because it's like, who else is going to play Wolverine? And I think that's (laughs) one of the things that maybe also those, um, the like dark Phoenix and, and, and those struggled with is because 
like I did like all the, you know, I liked Halle Berry as Storm, even though, you know, it's kind of, it's just like very 2000s, but like I liked her as Storm, um, you know, Cyclops, James Marsden. I love Ty Sheridan as young Cyclops, but like it just, and I did like um, Sophie Turner as, um, as, as, you know, the Dark Phoenix and stuff, but yeah. like Jean Grey, but like it's hard when you get, really when you do the casting really well at the beginning and then like having younger versions if they can live up to it or it's just it's really hard to kind of as an audience member to really like want to be or get involved with those new characters when you like have such a embedded love for the original ones so and then also i have a it's always a weird thing and and they've been doing this in other franchises like the star wars series and marvel and everything where you already know where the story is going. And so why should we care about the beginning or something? Yeah. Unless it's like, I guess they were trying to do different timelines. So maybe it could change in the future, but it, it just is one of those things where it's like, let's go completely different or something because you kind of lose me as an audience member. Like that's why I haven't really watched any of those newer, like the, like the star Wars series. Cause I'm like, and I know how it ends, you know, <laughs> like yeah. at least with, with this storyline, like, can we go completely like parallel or something where, or in another galaxy or, you know, like that, that's where I think also it kind of like lost people. Cause it, those beginning movies were so embedded and like iconic characters that they brought to life. And then we get these other characters and we're supposed to care about them, but like we already have an image in our mind about who they are. And, and I mean, it's cool that they kept, they were able to keep Logan and in then that one at least, because I think then it would have been like really bad. <laughs> I mean, it's not, I, I wouldn't say superhero fatigue is necessarily a thing. I think people, I think audience members have so many options that now they're just picking and choosing which are the good ones, like which ones are worth their time, which is yes. why you're seeing nobody going, you know, disappointing box office for like quantum mania and the flash, but it's every, not a must but, see but, anymore for yeah, every but, single but, one. But, but to your point about let's just do something really different. If people still came out for Guardians 3, mm-hmm. you know, people still came out for Logan uh, and not Dark Phoenix and not, you know, Apocalypse in the way that I think the studio wanted. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's so getting into this one, obviously, this is 17 years into his run as, <laughs> as huge as, uh, so as Wolverine. Crazy. The yeah. only one he's not in at all is Dark Phoenix actually, mm-hmm. of all 10 of these. So the, the two spinoffs that predated this, uh, all the ensemble films, the cameos in First Class and Apocalypse, and then this sort of marking the return of James Mangold as director. What are your thoughts on, for, I guess, briefly before we get to this, because it is sort of a third part of a trilogy. What are your What are your thoughts on the previous two Wolverine films? And does this work as uh, a, the most unconventional trilogy of all time? <laughs> I don't really remember the first two. I think they were okay. Like I, I remember it was it the one like in Tokyo or like a yeah. It, it was yeah. I remember them. I remember well. Actually, I remember that one having really bad VFX, and so it did. Or one of the one of the Wolverines movies. Well, the the first two. The, the first one has really weird visuals, especially his claws, like his claws are CG and some of yeah, it. Yeah. Yeah. That was the one where I was like, Ooh, like, you know, like, <laughs> like, come on guys. Like we, like, how can a 2000 movie have better CG than, you know, right. the, the 2013, I mean, it's possible now, but it felt like we were regressing and I was like, and, and that really takes it out of me. Like I, I can forgive a lot because I know there's like different factors and things, but like, 
we've seen it done better. So like, how yeah. can we see it get worse? Like that's the thing. And that, so that was really kind of, that was really disappointing. So I think they were okay. I don't even remember them really furthering his story. I think it was more like, I mean, yeah, they don't really, I honestly like Logan's the one that sticks out in my mind in yeah. terms of that. And then the first, the first X-Men ones, I think they were just, it, it didn't feel like there was anything too, too crazy going on with those. Yeah, the the first one is basically a, a Wikipedia page come to life of this is how where he came from, this is how he yeah. met, you know, this is how uh, he got his claws, and this is how he got his dog tags, and this is how he loses his memory and all that. Uh, and then the second one, uh, so the first one is generally derided as basically one of the worst X Men movies, which I, I <laughs> yeah. guess I, I kind of agree with. Yeah. Uh, and then the second one, like you were saying, the one in Tokyo, The Wolverine, also directed by James Mangold. That would remember being a little bit better. Like it, it was, it's much yeah. better. And mm-hmm. then I think the, the the general consensus is like the last act. It becomes real CG heavy, and mm-hmm. uh, the villain is this is um, the Silver Samurai. It's like this big CG robot that he's fighting. There's a lady with snake powers who like peels her skin back, <laughs> and it gets really goofy. Uh, when two thirds to three quarters of the movie before it is much more grounded. So I think you can sort of see that James Mangold had creative control until he and did. then not, yeah, <laughs> yeah. And so after that movie came out and did well, and he you know he'd worked with you, Jack before they did Kate and Leopold in like what is that 2001 I think that movie came out yeah so they had a long yeah long relationship as well exactly so uh, they wanted to come back and and do you know one more but I I I think that they kind of it was uh it was probably a Bale and Nolan situation like I'm not doing it until unless it's with him kind of thing yeah Uh, contracts behind the scenes that they would come back but it's got to be R-rated and Mangold wants more control and all that stuff. And this is what we got. And so the funny thing about James Mangold, who just directed a an Indiana Jones movie, mm-hmm. is that he seems like the most IP-averse director out there. And yet he keeps finding ways to, to put his own stamp on, uh, on these giant franchises. And I think Logan's probably the best example of that because... You can like you as you were saying with the, the other two Wolverine movies. You can literally come into this never having seen anything. You understand who this character is, mm-hmm. and it it works in it on its own because one because of the tone is so different, and two because it's set in twenty twenty nine. That's even further in the future than the future sequences of Days of Future Past. <laughs> they were like, we're not going to risk anybody yes. with this. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Which is which is why which is why Deadpool three has a little bit of leeway. They could be like, hey, after they stopped the Sentinels in Days of Future Past, X uh, Deadpool's came knocking on the mansion's door. It was like, hey, I Logan, I need your help for something. Yeah, Basically. yeah. I go. feel like there's a way, like in between there, or <laughs> yeah. it's a clone, or I don't know something. Well, they did. Well, they did. Well, they cl- kind of we'll did get that. To yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll get to that. <laughs> so, so yeah, I. Uh, Obviously, this movie was the first comic book movie nominated for a screenplay Academy mm-hmm. Award, which is a big deal. Uh, loosely inspired by the Old Man Logan storyline, but really, I mean, really, it's much more the more the X twenty three storyline. So it, it's kind of the Unforgiven of her superhero movies. Are you? What is your? What is your take on this movie's sort of application of the Western tropes. I mean, obviously the film Shane kind of plays into this movie. Uh, Laura kind of quotes it towards the end of the film and everything. Mm -hmm. Uh, What do you think of a superhero Western as a concept? And does Mangold pull it off? I mean, Logan, Logan is 
I, I hadn't seen it in, in a hot minute. And when I saw it, I was like, because I think also as a fan of, of Wolverine specifically and Hugh Jackman and what he's done with the character, even if you don't like all the movies, you love him. Yeah. And I remember, I, part of me doesn't like it, but not in the sense of like, it's a bad movie just because it makes me sad. <laughs> like, yeah. you know, cause it like, especially seeing professor X, like he's losing his mind and just like, you really see the deteriorate deterioration of, and also the burden of being a superhero. And, and also that when you didn't ask for it, like Wolverine didn't ask for it. He was like created at least in the movies, right? Like they put it in mm-hmm. him. And so so that's that aspect is really um, sad to me. But in terms of like the Western, I mean, this movie works. So I would say the concept, because they pulled it off, was perfect. I don't know if any other superhero movies could pull this off in this way. Because watching it again, I was just like, wow, this is really. And I don't throw out the the word masterpiece a lot. And I don't wouldn't. I don't know if even you know, it takes me a while to really throw that out there. But it's just so good. Like in terms of what a superhero movie can be and an interpretation of it and not just doing the same old thing, um, Mm -hmm. following the same format or the same like CG and having to, you know, play into like the, everyone has to be good and not kill anybody and all that kind of stuff. And the hero has a secret identity to protect people I love and all that. Yeah. Yeah. And this one being more gritty and, 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 and I think it, and also I think it only works because, it had been 17 years of us following this story and following this character and really falling in love with him to, to really feel, and also knowing because like he went on the press story and was like, Oh, you know, like we knew it was going to be his last one. So I don't know if psychologically as a viewer, you're also like, Oh, we're seeing kind of on screen, literally his death. And then, Mm -hmm. you know, him not, he was supposedly not going to play Wolverine again, but he's coming back, but him saying like, this is the end. So, Maybe that also plays into it, but I mean, the Western genre is perfect because it's sort of like in 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 its own way, you know, they're fighting the bad guys and having a standoff at the end, and I don't know, it it worked really well for me. Yeah, I think I I think the Western motif here really it does work because it does make it feel unique. And if they're trying to set set this movie apart from not only the previous two Wolverines but all of the X Men movies, I mean, this came out the year after Deadpool. So like the range of this franchise yeah. in, in, around this time is wild. You had in the, this came out in 2017. So the year before this was Deadpool and X-Men Apocalypse. Uh, and then a couple of years before that was Days of Future Past. So you have like a time travel movie, uh, sort of this Egyptian God coming into the eighties, uh, <laughs> fighting a bunch of mutants. And then this red suited sort of clown, Jumping oh, into the middle of the franchise, and then this, and then like, an Academy Award nominated uh, yeah, superhero movie. <laughs> exactly. I, I think part of it is um, is the R rating, like you said. But Mangold on uh, on the, the the Blu-ray and some of the features, he was talking about how he really wanted to make an adult movie, like not a yeah. film that's trying to sell toys or, or anything like that. I do think, though, speaking to how this franchise sets itself apart. I also feel like just watching, you know, I have a six-year-old and I'm watching these movies for this podcast and I'm like, I don't think any of these movies are really appropriate for her because yeah. <laughs> even when they're not violent or, or you know, explicit in their language and, and the, you know, the, the gore and stuff, the ideas are not really accessible. I mean, they're making big ideas accessible to 
to children, but like not small children. You know what I mean? It's, it's yeah, like you can't, yeah. You can't, it, it, yeah, you can't take the small children. Like you have to be at least teenage. Exactly. And even then you're not going to grasp Adult everything. Yeah. 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 And then I think, I think this, all this friendship is like probably like 18 and above even then. Yeah. It's a very yeah. adult. It is. And having the R rating not only gave him the leeway to have the language and the violence, uh, which obviously they indulge in quite a bit in this movie. Yes. I loved oh. I like. I mean, not that I love the violence, but I mean, it's on screen guys. Yeah. But like, it was just so, I forgot how brutal it was. <laughs> yeah. Well, you're getting, uh, I think limbs severed in the, in the opening sequence. Yeah. Is there a decapitation <laughs> right out the gate too? I, I feel think like so. Yeah. 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 There's a couple, a lot, Jeez. lots of adamantium claws going through people's heads and things like that. Oh man. <laughs> and, and a lot of it involving a what 12 year old girl. Yes, too, I she, love that when too. She comes, when she comes out of the out of that out of the building there and she With throws the, the head. guy's head. <laughs> it's so good. I was like, this is amazing. <laughs> oh. But even aside from all of the, the violence and stuff, having the R rating, as Mangold explained, it it positions your movie to be perceived a different way. Like yes. the studio heads are not like, oh, well, how we gotta get that happy meal tie-in. Like, you know, they're they're not marketing it to kids, so they they're treating the material more seriously in some ways, and I think you feel that just in this movie. I think uh, Marco Beltrami's score for this mm-hmm. film is incredible as well. Uh, yeah, I don't know. It's the first time this franchise feels fully unencumbered by like studio meddling timelines, what fits in with what. Um, you know, yeah. this and Deadpool, I guess, are the are the exceptions that they're just like, don't worry about it. I watching it again, I was like how did they get the studios to agree to this? Because right. it just feels, I mean, not that we're not going to have this again, but it does feel like in the world that we're in now, they wouldn't green light something like this. Yeah. Like it's too IP heavy and like, you know, based on like a tie in or, you know, how is it going to fit into the multiverse or something like that? Exactly. And I feel like it would almost benefit to go into a Logan style and maybe having like a mini series of some character that would like really tie in and kind of be, because I think also the fatigue I have is that it is always um, with the superhero genre now is like, it's so not sanitized, but sort of, right? Like it always has yeah. to tie into like, they always have to be good. And I know that's part of the comic lore, but like if you're adapting it to the screen, like you can only take so much of that at a time where it becomes, you're like, okay guys, like we, someone needs to die, you know, <laughs> like, because yeah. it's just, it's too, it's too safe. It's too, it, it, it doesn't make any sense. And so I think with Logan, it was nice to see the characters be not necessarily like human, but have sort of like an end in, in some ways, even though it is sad, it makes me sad to like watch like them being like not in their X-Men costumes and be, you know, heroic, but it was all almost more pun intended, like something to marvel at, <laughs> you know, like <laughs> it was just like seeing, you know, them like, this is what they would become. Cause there's always those questions like, where would you see these characters and whatever it's like, well, we get to see them in Logan. Like, that's yeah. the burden of being a superhero and everyone like loving you at one time. And then, you know, also because you're the ones that are the last man standing, you've seen everybody die horribly, you know, because of everything you've been through and like, why would you want to live? And then you're just slowly. And then with Logan, he's specifically like slowly dying, like an excruciating pain. And then in some ways you think he actually maybe. Cause he has like, we see him have the bullet where mm. he can um, kill himself, 
but it's almost like he wants to slowly die also to punish himself for everything that he's yeah. done. And so you sort of, as a, as a viewer watching this, you're like, this is just heartbreaking in so many different ways. But then the Hugh Jackman of it all makes you just like, you know, maybe there's a way, like you still want to root for the character and be like, maybe there's a way, you know, even though he's sort of like this asshole at times to the, to the, <laughs> to, um, to Laura, but you understand, but you also understand and it's funny because she understands too, because she's yeah. been through it all. So I don't know. It's it just, it's a weird mix of just awesomeness in this movie where it's so dark and great and it's so adult. And I, yeah. And I guess that's what I'm missing in, in, in these, in these uh, other superhero. I think they, they're just like, it's too PG 13 and maybe someone needs yes. to throw a wrench in and like, Hey, we can have more of an adult one. And like when the kids grow up, they can watch it and, you know, or, you know, people can go watch it. Like let's, this doesn't all have to be for money, but I guess it does, <laughs> but we get well, these gems here. Yeah. And it made a lot of money. Like it was like, it did. Like, yeah. It made like 619 million worldwide and the budget was like 97. So yeah. uh, and maybe, maybe with the Bar- Barbenheimer, you know, those were adult movies too, and they made a shit ton of money. So maybe, maybe people yeah. will learn the lesson of like, we can just do, we can do more adult movies and people will actually go see them. Well, that's the big question with Deadpool three, like, right. Cause they keep saying it's going to be R rated. It'll be the first Marvel studios officially, you know, R rated film or how much is the, how, what does that mean? Just a couple extra F bombs or are they going to go all in Deadpool yeah. in here for the first time, really? Logan uh, are not PG-13 characters. And it, it's, you can see it just even if you look at like the first couple of movies in the MCU, like those first two Iron Mans, he's drinking a lot. There's a lot of casual mm-hmm. sex. He just blows terrorists up and walks away. Like all of us, then all of a sudden, oh, it becomes I'm, I'm more out. sanitized. Yeah, yeah. 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 He's all of a sudden much more put together. And I know part of that is his arc, but part of that is, Oh, we got the Disney logo now. So yeah, we gotta, (laughs) we gotta kind of make sure we can get the, the the theme park attraction based on this, you know, this this franchise and stuff. So I, yeah, with this one, it's one, it's the joy of seeing Logan finally in his full R rated glory. And also, like you said, it's, it's you comic books are famous for, just keeping those character storylines going on and on and on and on. And here you get the last Wolverine story. It's yeah. There's also a lot of interesting implications with this film Mm -hmm. too, with one, the fact that the adamantium is obviously now poisoning his system. And two, the fact that mutants no longer exist. Yeah. Apparently because this company put, you know, uh, created a Yeah. Mm -hmm. Like bioengineered, basically to suppress the mutant gene in for generations. That's kind of heavy, uh, again, adult themes to have in, in a superhero movie. Yeah. And I think, and it's very, cause we're not seeing, I think in the, in, in all of the other X-Men movies, especially like in the beginning, they really showed that like, you know, like the, the sciencey part and really kind of tried to, ex- or the, not the comic book science part of like all these, um, the mutants and, and stuff. And in this one, like we are not getting any of that stuff. Like, you know, it's all talked about, but the hinting of it is, is also really powerful because in watching this again, I was like, man, that's a really interesting story. Like I want to know. And also just thinking about basically it feels very apocalyptic. Like we don't really see much of the real world in this either. Like we just see Logan's world. And it feels very dark and heavy and, you know, like there's not much to live for. But I guess we're seeing it through 
the mutants that are left, like Professor X and um, what's his name? The Sun, Sun Seeker. Uh, Caliban. Caliban, yeah. So we're seeing like that's the way that they're living. And so we don't really get to see much of the real world in this. So it could be left open for interpretation of like they can leave it um, like if Laura's story continued after this, because, you know, they make it to safety, like, what would that look like? It almost felt like a, cause this is similar in the, in the, like children of men esque mm-hmm. way yeah. of like, you know, there yeah. was not a kid born forever. And then like they save that one person, like what is the future going to look like? And that's what it felt like with this. It's like there had been no mutants. And then like, you know, now there's Laura and her, the, the band, because they basically engineered them. So, I don't know. There's like a lot of questions, but also it's okay if you, you know, also just leaving it like that because in your own head, you can make up all the assumptions and it's fun to do that too. Like you don't need to have it so clear cut, but like they give you enough to be like, to set the world of where Logan's living now and why he's been down in the dump so much and like why it's so harmful. And of course, like there would be an enduring bioengineering company that would like wanted to suppress the, the mutant gene and then actually sir, you know, did it. So I don't know. It's, yeah. it's very interesting. Like all those tie-ins, but I was like, man, I wish we did get like a, <laughs> if they were able to do like a, a sequel and like all those kids would be grown up already. So they could technically, yeah. it would be awesome to use those same kids <laughs> yeah. and like really have like a continuation of like what the world looks like. I don't know, maybe like 15 years later. Well, we get some signs of the future in here. Like I, I really admire uh, James Mangold's restraint here because yeah. we know that it's the future, but it's also like his, I think his point is to the world of today minus the technology we have kind of looks pretty similar to the world of 30 years ago. The fashion changes and things are kind of more run down or knocked down and rebuilt into something else or whatever, things like that. But like in this movie, we get the, the uh, auto driving trucks mm-hmm. on the road in that mm-hmm. scene. And then I think in the, at the, in the farm, like in the background, you can see some like machinery yeah. kind of running. Yeah, it's very subtle. It's very nice, like very nice touches he did. And like even watching it, like it kind of fits still today. Like, I mean, it was only, it's only been six years, but like they kind of made it timeless in a way. Like watching it again, yeah. you're like, oh, this, this fits very well, especially with the, the, maybe the Western theme. Cause like the, 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 sh- the, the cinematography is so well done that you're like, this is beautiful. And I don't know, they, he really made kind of like a timeless uh, film with this. I don't know if that makes sense. It's like, a, yeah, yeah it, it just feels yeah, it, like a very like chapter in itself. Like you said, you don't have to watch the other ones. You can kind of, if you know a little bit about it, you can go with it. feels like it's very much its own thing. So it just feels like not like those other movies where you're like, oh, I need to see one, two, and three, you know, to like make yeah. sense of it. Uh, on uh, the X-Men Origins Wolverine episode, I, I compared this trilogy to the El Mariachi trilogy because similarly has a character who's kind of wandering around, having adventures. Yeah. Kind of broody. Each of those movies really kind of works on their own. Even Once Upon a Time in Mexico has flashbacks to a movie that didn't happen in between Desperado and and that (laughs) film. So there's like each of those films are standalone, but then also sort of fit together thematically, uh, which I think is really interesting. I think it's, I think there's uh, a comparison to be made between Wolverine and and also it gave me like a Mad Max vibes. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, I've covered those films. So for sure. Yeah. And Mad Max is 
notorious. Like it, it, it's it continuation, but it's always its own story. Like yes. each Mad Max. So I was, and Mad Max Fury Road is like one of my favorite movies. <laughs> so yeah. I, I, I do, I did feel, especially with like the desert, like, um, like cinematography and stuff and the driving and the road trip and all that stuff. It's, it felt like in that vein, maybe there's something to that, I guess that makes it so good. <laughs> like a yeah. road trip, desert apocalyptic <laughs> movie. <laughs> and then in beyond Thunderdome, he, he kind of uh, falls in with a group of kids too. So it yeah. sort of reminded me of that on this watch, Logan. Yeah. <laughs> I, to your point with the kids, I, I've said this on other episodes in this mega series, I'm sure there there's three characters that I've been like, I really hope Marvel studios carries over into their version of the X-Men. Obviously Ryan Reynolds, Deadpool, there's mm-hmm. no one else that's going to play him. And he exists no. outside of, outside of studio, whatever he gets kind of jump around. That's how that works. Evan Peters, Quicksilver. They kind of screwed that up. I know he was <laughs> he's honestly one of my favorite what? characters across like all superhero, um, just genre. Yeah. He's, yeah. he was the best. <laughs> He was one of and the then, highlights in this in the whole franchise. Definitely. Uh, and then Daphne Keene as, as Laura slash X-23. Yes. She, uh, obviously, let's just, we'll just say, obviously, Hugh Jackman's great in this movie. Probably the best he's ever been as this character. He's never not great as this character. But Daphne Keene is the one that I walked away from this movie being like, damn, more of that, more of that actor, more of, of that character. Like, let's see a, a follow-up focusing on Laura. Uh, and it's a mostly silent performance. It's mostly oh, silent physical acting, except for the last half hour. So I think, yeah. yeah. I remember, yeah. I remember thinking, because um, I haven't rewatched this a lot. I, I did watch it quite a bit, but I hadn't seen it in a long time. And I was like, oh, I don't know. I, I, I don't know. It's fun. it's funny what you remember when you're watching these movies. I remember liking it, but then when I watched it, I was like, oh my god, I love this. And I remembered her performance because then she she actually ended up being in. Um, was it his dark material or what is it? Mm-hmm. The HBO series. Yeah. Based on one of, on the, I think the Narnia or not Narnia, the, or is it? I don't know. I forgot his dark materials or something like that on HBO. I think is, that, is that the golden compass one? Yeah. Golden something? compass one. Yeah. Yeah. There you go. So she's, so I actually, because of, I think this came out, it came out a few years ago or whatever. I started watching that and I'm like, she's amazing. So she continued her, you know, her great after, acting career. After yeah. watching this, I was like, man, do I need to watch that? I have Max yeah. sitting right there. Like, yeah. And she's really good. Um, and it's funny because then James McAvoy's in that series, you know, so it's oh, like wow. an X-Men tie-in. But she, I hadn't, rem- I, or maybe I hadn't appreciated when I saw it the first time, um, how good she is in this. And I was like, man, who, like the casting of her, if it had been some other kid who didn't, who couldn't act with, and it's really hard to like, act well and not say anything because not everyone can do that. So she says so much with like saying nothing. And so I'm just like, what a, like uh, it feels like she's just like such a good performer and her and Hugh Jackman have this like really good chemistry. And, 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 and she has like, even in those moments where he's being an asshole to her, she, you, you can see it in her face that she knows that he doesn't like, he doesn't know how to be, but he, she knows that he cares about her in mm-hmm. some sense. And so then it's very heartbreaking at the end when, you know, he's, when he, when he dies and then she, you know, but then also she has the same bit of him uh, in her where she just like moves on and has to, you know, she's a survivor and just continues and has it like toughness that he has, but them together, it was just, I think it all hinged on the casting of Laura and she was just so good. 
I don't remember if it's Gabriella or Charles. Somebody says, you know, she can learn to be better. And there's that scene later on of, of connection between her and Logan where he's there. She's like, I, I've hurt people too. And I, I think you, you get that. You get like Logan achieves redemption through her. Yeah. And you imagine that she's going to go on having learned from his mistakes as well as her own. Yeah. And by having her silent for most of the movie, uh, it's it avoids that whole like kid sidekick, like cliche. Yeah. Where, you know, they get to Logan himself is is not he's not particularly chatty anyway. So having <laughs> yeah, these, like, yeah. it kind of plays into, wow, she really feels like Logan's daughter because that's kind of like quiet and gruff and and kind of uh, yeah, like, don't talk a, to me. Like, uh. yeah, with a guarded <laughs> vulnerability, like that's Logan. Yeah. You know, so you get little flickers of it, like at Charles, when they're burying Charles and she like goes to grab his hand, things like that. Like, it's really, it's really sweet. And you don't realize how bought in you are to the bond between the two of them until the end of the movie. And then you're like, why is my face wet? What's going on? (laughs) When she calls him daddy. Oh my God. Yes. When this came out, my daughter was three months old. So it, it like hit me really hard. W- w- that the whole sequence and that and that that scene between the two of them it's just yeah she, she's she's incredible in this uh the physical like the fight stuff oh my god the stunt work like i don't know how much of that i'm, I'm sure that she had a stunt double mm-hmm. as well but mm-hmm. like sh- she sells that so so well yeah i don't know yeah it's and one of stuff. the things i appreciated in this is i think in a lot of the other um superhero movies because they are so good and they have to fit this mold of like never wanting to kill anybody and be bad and all that. There's always a choice like, Oh, should I kill him? Or, you know, like there's always like so much, at least in the earlier ones, so much talk of like, not necessarily the X-Men movies, but, or even so I think there's a lot of like that dialogue of, Oh, you can't kill anybody or we're not that people. And it, what I appreciated in this one is like, we know Logan's killed and, and things or he's not afraid to do that. But like Laura just comes kind of in swinging, you know, like, and she never even stops to think about it. And like, there's, I remember was like when they're in the car and she's like all that, or I forgot what point, but like she, she's killed a lot at that point. Yeah. And I'm just thinking like, is she like, okay, like, you know, mentally, like she's like killed a lot of bad guys. And it, it also is kind of nice to see. I mean, obviously if you kill a lot of people, you probably are mentally messed up, but right. in her character, like she's built for that and she's had to kill all these bad guys to protect herself. But it also is like kind of a nice reprieve too to be like, I don't know. It doesn't, it doesn't define her in a way. It, don't it, be it, what they made you. He says. Yeah. And it doesn't define her either. Where like, you know, as an audience member, like, you know, she's not a bad person either just because she's like killing these bad guys. And so she's done what she has to do. So like when she does have like a, she will be better. Like there's no question so much of like, I don't know. I just found myself thinking like, Oh, she's, I've seen her kill all these like guys brutally. She's probably like mentally messed up, but like she's not because she's had to do what she has. And she is very, she, she's very well like self-aware like she liked the nurse who helped her and, you know, and, uh, you know, she has a soft spot for Professor X and like, so she's not bad, you know, and I think in those moments you see it and it's just, I don't know, very subtle, but I liked it to show like her humanity in there. And it's just like what they created her to do that she has to kind of like fight and she can defend herself. But I don't know, I thought that was really like a nice touch for them to not have to be this whole thing of like, oh, I killed one person and 
then yeah. she has to like have an existential crisis, you know, like she's not really thinking about that part. <laughs> <laughs> and yet she's still a kid. So when she, the, the, yeah. the, the guy in the convenience store is like, Hey, you have to pay for that. She, she almost busts her claws out and yeah. Like, yeah. No, yeah. no, we're, we're going. One of my favorite parts yeah. is when she's riding the horse and she's like, and then she gets, you see her in the background when she gets, yeah. when it stops and she's like shaking the thing. It's <laughs> like, Oh my God. <laughs> This is so good. She's not in control. She's got, you know, she's learning to use this, this power. I think that the, the relationship between her and Gabriella, like that whole storyline, oh, like yeah. the, the trafficking of those children and the experimentation on them. I think that's all again, really powerful. That's the thing. There's a lot of big ideas put into this movie that I think you don't realize until you stop and unpack. I'm like, wow, mm-hmm. they like, tackled you know the 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 charles story is is obviously sort of reminiscent of people who have elder parents who need to be cared for and dementia and alzheimer's or or whatever the case may be but yeah having gabriella with the video and she's like she's she's not my child but i love her Mm -hmm. she's like you may you may not not love her but she is your child i thought that was really powerful yeah all that stuff like it, it there's a lot packed into this movie in addition to the fact that it's so much more character driven like thematically mm-hmm. they hit a lot of uh, a lot of really interesting points plus it's it's seemingly less focused on spectacle but still feels wildly cinematic i think that's the key too it's not there's no like you know um, the previous movies <laughs> magneto's bringing the golden gate bridge across or lifting up a stadium <laughs> yeah. or apocalypse is like releasing all the nuclear warheads across the world or whatever kind of crazy stuff and here it, all of the stakes are really personal to logan and uh it's just like kind of more uh, more visceral and it's more just like hand-to-hand combat kind of thing. And I think it's, it, it still feels like uh, it still makes an impact without having to, you know, tear the world apart. And I think that's, that's, that's a testament to the strength of the the writing here. Yeah. And it kind of, it's one of the things that I'm struggling with as well in, in the latest like superhero movies is that nothing feels like tangible in the sense, I mean, I, I know this is like a superhero, so, you know, take it with a grain of salt. I don't mean like realistic in anything, but um, in, in the scope of the movies that you're watching, when there is like warheads being released all over, or it's just like the end of the world again. And then like, it's all, and then there's like real, you never see the consequences of that. And um, I think you saw it. was it like Iron Man three where like one of the people's like that had got killed. It was the, the, the David Brule or what's his name? Um, I don't know. One of the, from one of the, the end of the world things, like you, you, you feel the consequences because then he goes after Iron Man or something because he had, yeah. Like, yeah. Like, yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. His family Civil member. War. Yeah. 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 Okay. Yeah, yeah. 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 So because his family, cause I always think about that when they're like showing all those scenes, I'm like, well, there's actually a lot of destruction and it just yeah. feels like, let's just forget about that. Cause the world is saved, you know And I'm like? But there's exactly. like, mili- like p- people who like really died. So, and then you just become desensitized to it all. So like when there's another like end of the world thing and like things are getting destroyed, you're like, eh, like, why should I, we care. It doesn't really feel like there's stakes or anything like that. And and sometimes there doesn't have to be like big stakes. Like this kind of took it back to like just these characters. And I, I feel like I wish they would do more of this because it also speaks to the power of the comics of like at the heart of it. You know, when you're reading comic books, I'm sure that they, there's no 
crazy VFX. It's a lot of imagination. You see it in the pages, but like, this is just like, if you take back all the spectacle, this is what it like Logan is. And it's so, it's still so powerful. It's still in, entertaining. You still get your crazy action sequence, but it feels like every kill, every situation that they're in, like it actually feels like, are they going to get out of it? You know, like mm-hmm. when she's, when she's uh, surrounded by all those like guys, like uh, that are coming after her and she's by herself. Cause Logan's kind of in the, he's, the serum is worn off and she's like going to go for it. And you're like rooting for her to like, yeah, I think she can do it. You know, like that feels that's exciting instead of her, you know, flying around and like doing all this crazy stuff that we see like in a normal superhero movie. It just doesn't, it's, it's, it's not as uh, powerful as like what they did here in Logan. When yeah, go never ahead. not less exciting either. When they stop at that, um, when they help that family and oh, they stay at the farm, yes. And then what happens to that family? Eric LaSalle and Elise Neal in this movie they contribute so much because mm-hmm. they are the glimmer of a normal life that none of these people really ever got to have. Yeah, and they I, stick I, out like a sore thumb. <laughs> Yeah. In that world. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, that's so much more impactful than most of these superhero movies that they're over there having dinner and Charles is like, Logan, look around. Like, this is what life looks like. Yeah. Like, this, <laughs> like, you still so have crazy. time. You still have, you can live. You have, you know, you have life ahead of you and all of that. And th- what do you think that that, those characters and that sort of, uh, what seems like, Plot wise, sort of just like a not a lull, but like it takes time to reflect upon where these characters are emotionally. What do you think that that sequence and those actors, Eric LaSalle and Elise Neal, contribute to that uh, to the movie and to the characters' arcs? Yeah, I it, it is like a pause, and I do think it it's like the it, it's sort of like what he'll never have, and it makes his story even more heartbreaking because we know what he's been through and we know like it's not going to end well with him and Laura. Maybe there's a glimmer of hope. And I also think it's a big moment for, for Charles and the three of them, because I think he talks to Laura and kind of gives her more insight to, you know, um, to Logan. And then, you know, Logan's going and helping out the, the family and you sort of see him in this normal setting, but know that he's not. And, um, and then the family who's just so welcoming and inviting that I almost even knowing what's going to happen. I, I was like, are they like maybe spy, you know, like they play it kind of yeah. also really well. Cause like the mom is like, don't you want to stay? Like, you know, and I was like, this is a little fishy, you know, like, but it's like, oh, it's just nice people. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so because we're so trained for like an ulterior motive that like, right. I think as an audience, it kind of also throws you off because you're like, wait, this just can't be a pause. Like there has to be something going on here. Like maybe they're planted by, you know, this bioengineering company to like keep them there and then they're going to come get them. But it's so funny because it's actually just a heartwarming moment. And these people just want to share what they have because, you know, they're nice people. So. And then, (laughs) and then of course, Havoc falls upon them. I know. What is, how do you feel about the fact that essentially the, I guess the main physical threat of this movie is a Logan clone. Yeah. Like, is that, 
in both of these movies, in in the X Men Origins Wolverine, let's say there's he's Logan is Weapon X, and then they turn Deadpool, uh, regrettably, into Weapon <laughs> Eleven. Yeah. Uh, and then here you have X-23 as Laura, and then you get X-24, which is a Logan clone. Uh, all these movies are about experimentation, by the way. All three Wolverine <laughs> movies. <laughs> yeah. How do you feel about the fact that a clone of Logan is the villain here? Is that a little bit too on the nose, or does it does it work for you? Mm, I would say maybe if it had... I think it works in this one because if it had been some sort of... I mean, he is going against this company, right? Like who did the clone and everything. And he's, it feels like that that has been his story from the beginning. Ever since he got to, ever since he's become Wolverine and what they did to him, I feel like that's always, that's the real villain, right? Like that's like his, his kryptonite or whatever. It's like, that's like his trauma (laughs) of, of he'll never escape that. He's, he's lived with it to some degree, but we see how well, like, or not well, he's lived with it <clears throat> from, from all of that experimentation. <clears throat> Excuse me. So I feel like it's just like a metaphor for everything that he's gone through. And of course yeah. he would be facing a version of himself and it is a little on the nose, but I also feel like if it had been some sort of other villain or this like alien or something you know like this out of world thing i don't think it would have had the same impact and i think Mm -hmm. it's more powerful to see him fight a version of himself you know more improved and and all that stuff like um at least engineered to and it also makes you feel a little bit sad for that for that one you know for x24 and you feel like that would have been logan without his emotion and humanity and so I think it's like sort of a mirror in a way to the audience to let you realize like, I don't know how much Logan has had to endure and, mm-hmm. and really sort of like him killing that version is sort of also killing himself a little bit too. I don't know. It's, yeah. it's really meta, but it, it, it works really well. That's X 24 is what they always intended Logan mm-hmm. to be. Yeah. Basically. And I, I, it's that, part of the story is, is one that I bumped up against on previous watches, Mm -hmm. but I think what makes it, what kind of helps me sort of come to terms with it with regards to this movie is the, the way that they, the way that the, it plays into Charles's death. Uh, I guess like his third of the franchise at this point, (laughs) but like his most final one, unless he shows up in Deadpool three also. Even even when he was buried, I was like, wait, (laughs) Doesn't he, isn't he alive still? Cause like, it's just, you never know. Like we're so like, I, I just feel like we're so, uh, was it not desensitized? We're just so like, yeah, nah. Like, you know, like it's sort of like, you're not going to get us on this one. We know he's going to yeah. come back. And then it's like, oh wait, like, I think he is dead actually. We've, we've seen Loki die home. How many times he's got season two of a show now <laughs> yeah, coming up. Yeah. And it's like, like, nah, you guys are, think you got us, but we, we know the truth. Yeah, exactly. So even with this one, and it was weird because in this one, I liked that there was no, it almost is a little bit more, it's, it's sad because he dies and like, there's no real, like, like, I guess in the other superhero, you have this whole thing and like, everyone's like, you know, crying here, they got to go, you know? And so it was like very quick and, and he doesn't die in like a crazy, you know, like heroic fashion, you know, the other X24 kills him and then like he just dies and there's no like Mm -hmm. momentous like last line there's no nothing it's sort of like that's the end for Professor X like it just felt really sad in a way 
Well, the, the 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 closest we get to like a last line is the confession, basically, where he's saying, "You think I don't remember? Yeah, I know what I did." Like the idea that <sighs> Charles Xavier accidentally killed a bunch of people, including several X Men. We hear on the radio at one point. You have to assume that was Cyclops, Storm, Gene, yeah, somebody of that level of importance. The fact that he's like tearfully confessing that he remembers now what happened in Westchester and then is killed by X-24. And to the point that when like, then when Logan discovers him, all Logan's repeating over and over, it wasn't me. It wasn't me. Like this is a, a man who saved him at the beginning of the franchise. Uh, and these, t- these two have just kind of throughout kept each other going, even like in, in days of future past. Yeah. Logan came back to, to <laughs> sort of help Charles get back on track. Yeah, I mean, he was he was sent back by Charles, but but still, so it, it, <laughs> he it didn't have to go of, exactly. So it, it feels fitting in a way that he would be the one taking care of of Charles still at this point, and he would envision him as sort of a father figure. Mm-hmm. Uh, the way that relationship uh, evolves, what? Yeah, I don't know. That's Charles, Patrick Stewart. We should talk about his performance in this. Mm-hmm. He's so crazy good in this. I, I remember when this came out. I think that was one of the performances that a lot of people were pointing out as well. Cause Logan is Logan, but like, this is a completely different version of Charles than we've ever seen. Yeah. He's not put together. He's not, he's not the stoic and, you know, Charles, like the wisdom and everything that we've seen him before. And it's very jarring. And I think that's one of the reasons why I don't visit this one a lot is because not because it's not good, but because like I said, mentioned before, like it is really hard. Like it's one of the, the, it's a movie that I love and that is really good, but it is a hard watch because especially if you love these characters, like they really, like the arc that they have come to, to get here, especially with Charles and, and Logan, like it's rough. It's not fun. It's not heroic. It's like, they're barely hanging on and they really are the, like I think keeping each other alive. And I think that's also why when, when Charles um, dies, you kind of realize like, I think Logan's not too far off because <laughs> he doesn't have anyone. It's sort of like, I guess I equate it to, it's maybe a bad um, comparison, but you know, like when you get a dog and like, if you don't feel like going outside or extra, like the dog will keep you alive in a way like, you know, yeah. um, um, like, I don't know, some just whatever will keep you going that you kind of live for. You have a and, mission, you have a purpose. It's why yes. it's how people in their nineties still live to be in their nineties because yeah. they, they still keep active. They're still volunteering or working somewhere part-time yes. or like they have, they have a community thing that they're involved. Yeah. They're involved in stuff. They have something. Yeah. To do. You have something. And so whatever yeah. that something is. And for, for both of them, I think it was like for Charles, it was making, um, or f- trying to help Logan find his own happiness, even though like he probably knew deep down, like he's never going to find it. And then, Mm -hmm. uh, but kept trying in his like going in and out of like whatever, you know, he has. And then, um, and then, uh, and then with Logan, I think he was just, it, it must be hard to see someone that you admired so much. And you do consider like a father figure who saved you just, this is the end he's coming to, which, I mean, I don't know anybody with, with Alzheimer's or mental illness, but I know like, I'm sure that hits home for a lot of people. And also Mm -hmm. sort of like now as I'm getting older and my own parent, you know, like you start thinking about those things. And so I also feels like it's, it's a little bit eerie in that sense of like, 
it's it's really powerful to like see someone that or even just as your parents get older or people you love and you're like they they can't do what they used to do and i think that really hits so so i don't know it, it's it's really grounding in, in their relationship on many levels it's sort of like they're they're their it's like they're their best versions or they used to have their best versions of themselves like they would um support each other and like really push each other. And then now it's like also the worst tendencies as well. Like they have it all yeah. mixed in. <laughs> so it's a lot. You're not seeing the leader of the of the X-Men. You're seeing no. just an old man barely clinging to any sense of reality. The moments where he's and and then there's parts where he's where he's lucid, and then there he has moments where he lashes out at Logan, Oof, where he's yeah. yelling at him, and he's like, "Oh, you want me to die? Like, uh, you know, you're trying to keep me here." And like, he says to him, he looks at him like very serious, and yeah. at one point, he's like, "What a disappointment you are!" Yeah. And I'm oh. like, "Oh my god, yeah," because like, you know some of it's true, yeah, because like, and then you know some of that is like the stuffy part like you have in your subconscious, but you're not supposed to say out loud. But like, since he's ill, like he's saying it. And so I think Logan's like, Oh, that's how you probably really feel. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, and he just takes it because he admires and loves him so much. And it's, they're really heartbreaking to see, but also very beautiful because of at the end, they also have each other and that's nice too, even though it's not in the best way. Yeah, and the, the fact that those two actors have been, like you were saying earlier with you, Jackman, the fact that both of them have been doing this for 17 years and kind of retired, quasi-retired the, these roles yeah. together, even though Stewart was in uh, Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness, obviously we're getting you, Jackman, <laughs> yeah. and Deadpool 3. Those, canonically, those don't really, those are other whatever, other versions or interquills or whatever, but um, but yeah, let's see. And what also else? I think it, it, it yeah. feels um, it's also the, I think that too is that we know that both of them have been playing mm-hmm. their characters for so long yeah. that like, not that they feel tired, but like, I'm sure in some, to some degree, they're like, here we are again. Like, you know, it feels like very like them playing it for 17 years must have a toll as well. And then um, just, so they, I feel like they can probably really like, it's a culmination of all those years and like being able to play like, well, we've aged and we've done that. You know, like, yeah. like, so it was just like the perfect amal- amalgamation of like all of that history together. And also just themselves as like people getting older and, you know, wherever they're at in their lives. And so like, I feel like it all played into their performance. And then they weaponize Charles's uh, ability to freeze every, everyone around him that we yeah. see in most of the previous movies. Yeah. Well here it's literally, he's just, you know, freezing them and they can't breathe. Mm, so he's suffocating mm-hmm. dozens or hundreds of people at a time. And we get that sequence in the hotel yeah, uh, where he has the seizure. Like that's the thing. None of the action sequences in this movie are like, are on the same scale, I, I guess of the previous movies, because like I was saying, they're less reliant on effects, Yeah, but they all, they still feel unique and they still make an impact. It's, you know, when Logan and, and Laura are fighting together, or when Logan's trying to just get through this hotel to get to get Charles his medicine, like <laughs> they feel it, it feels ridiculous to say that's an action sequence, but it's really suspenseful, uh, especially like you were saying how they how they turn what we've been watching for twenty years uh, in such a dark way. Yeah, and also it's a little bit. I wonder if some of it too is because Logan knows how. 
like what Charles can do when he gets, you know, in those bad spells and can basically like kill everyone. I think yeah. he's also, he, he is doing a little bit of heroics or trying to save people from, I guess, Charles, Charles is um, like when he has those spells. So it's so funny because even though he doesn't look or it, it feels like he's in a really bad place where he's not saving anybody or he's kind of given up, he really like the superhero within him, it hasn't gone away because he's still trying to save Charles and the people around him. Cause he, he also, he, if he was, if he was like an evil version, he would have just put him to death. Like he would have like yeah. injected him with the serum and be like, you're just too dangerous. And I'm going to, you know, I need to go and live my life. And like, you're, you're taking up too much of my time. Yeah. And, 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 but no, he like stays with him through all like the good and the bad and, takes it upon himself to really take on the the responsibility of, you know, trying to keep him safe and, and also keep everyone around him safe. So it's just, it's funny that even in his like worst state, he's still being heroic in his own way. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. We have, to, I, we have to mention some of the other actors yes. before we start getting to the winding down part of this podcast. Yes. One of my favorites. I hope you mention. <laughs> Uh, I think Boyd Holbrook is really is really good in this. I think he, he that feels like is that who we're talking about? Yes, <laughs> that feel it feels like it should have been a thankless, forgettable role, but he brings some kind of such swagger to that character to Pierce that it every time he's on screen, it is pretty fun to see him kind of play off of Logan. Go 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 off about Boyd Holbrook. What's the Boyd Holbrook? Yes. Uh, so I remember watching him and he was one of my favorite parts of this movie. I think he, he, he did play it so well. It could have been very one note, but even in mm-hmm. his, I don't know, like you, you see also like a history there too. Like you don't really know his motivations because like, I mean, in this kind of world, is he just someone that likes to like, why is he working for this company? Does he just like, you know, and also it kind of speaks to, I guess maybe the world that they're living in that we don't really get to see is like, is there nothing else for him to do? Like, you know, go have his own life. Like maybe it is very Mad Max in that sense of like, this is what it is. This is what the world has come to. So this is why he is the way he is. But yeah, he has such swagger and charisma and to play against like Hugh Jackman and Charles. Cause I mean, the only other person is Richard Grant who also is very good in this. He's the doctor. Yeah who essentially I think his dad is uh Brian Cox's character, right? Is that what we're getting? I don't think or it's, someone else's it's, someone else. Yeah. It's I couldn't remember the name. Like that. I think he was one they, of them. Okay. There. They mentioned yeah, it. Yeah. They mentioned it at the very end and I was like, I couldn't, I didn't go and research, but yeah, he <laughs> no. was just like, um, yeah. he, he essentially has like history too in like being a bad person <laughs> in the sciencey world of it. But even him though, like it's, it's weird because like, you know, that he's doing like, he, he's essentially like creating these clones and, you know, not doing good, good things. But then it, you see a little bit of like humanity in him too. Like, you know, he's like, I didn't think they were going to do this or blah, blah. And it's like, what? Like, it almost feels like the discovery of science kind of was his goal. And then, or like, you know, putting, putting, uh, like a stop to like the bad part of like, I guess the mutants or something, but like right. then the monster was like let out of the bag in terms of like what he created or what they suppressed. And 
I don't know. It's 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 very interesting. Those characters, like Richard, but both of them, Boyd Holbrook and Richard Grant, are just like such good supporting characters in this. And I think with Boyd Holbrook too, it's again we get the sense that we're in the future because he's got a, a, yeah. you know, a cybernetic hand. Uh, and some, and a lot of the other Reavers have like enhancements mm-hmm. uh, throughout, which I think it, it makes them a little bit more of a physical, Im- physically imposing presence for Logan and the, and the children towards the end, where we get that crazy battle in the, in the forest with all the kids going off on, on the Reavers, which is really satisfying when they, yes. when they take all those guys down. And I loved that. Like, I mean, I love when a good villain, like, I mean, Boyd Holbrook's character is not, you know, he wasn't going to have a redemptive arc. He is truly a baddie, but I love that uh, he had a fitting end with all the kids just like attacking him. So that was a really good, um, I love when there's a satisfying death for like a a baddie. (laughs) So that was a good one. Definitely. Uh, just did all the powers to him. And also Richard (laughs) Grant's character, the doctor, he had a pretty horrible, um, by his own creation, right? Yeah, yeah. Killed him too. They had it they had it coming. <laughs> Stephen Merchant, I think, as Caliban has some really, really kind of fun moments uh, mm-hmm. in this movie. He I I particularly like when he's talking to, to Logan about the Sunseeker. He's like, you know, operative word being sun. Like I don't I don't I hardly <laughs> yeah, see yeah. myself scurrying below deck like Nosferatu, <laughs> basically. I, I thought it was really funny. Yeah, yeah. There's a little so bit of It's like that, the closest yeah. this movie gets to levity <laughs> is some yeah, of that yeah. stuff. Yeah. Yeah. You're Not like, and it's it, funny because so you're like, oh, is this there. what it was what was for them? Like the three amigos, you know, for a while in the, yeah. In the bunker. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Let's see. There's also like a couple little, little things that I, I find kind of interesting. There's the callback. Uh, Charles says, oh, you know, they're waiting for you at the Statue of Liberty. Mm-hmm. And, and Logan mm-hmm. says, oh, the Statue of Liberty, that was a long time ago. We ended up finding out that's like, the Statue of Liberty is on the sign of the hotel where Laura and Gabriella are staying, but mm-hmm. Logan's referencing the original film where they yeah. had the, sad, the big battle of the Statue of Liberty. <laughs> so I appreciated that yeah. callback. There's also, there's also the company Transigen apparently is a subsidiary of Essex. And I'd only mm. found this out thanks to the internet, which is the company that's teased at the end of apocalypse in the post credit scene uh, with Mr. Sinister. So that's how Transigen got, Weapon X's DNA. I thought that. So it's that's yeah, the thing. I like even that. though this even though this movie doesn't fit with the, it doesn't really care about fitting with the other movies, it still kind of fits with the other movies. Yeah. Uh, it honors the, cool. the 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 lore and stuff, which I appreciate. Yeah, and then Mangold has, you know, confirmed as as much as he, you know. I, I mean, I sort of mean sort of wonders whether this was intentional, but there's that line in The Wolverine where Yukio, who foresees Logan's death, says that, oh, this is how you die. You're on your back and you have your heart in your hand. And people like memed that moment with this moment at the end when he's on his back holding Laura's hand. Yeah. As sort of kind of bringing that moment full circles. Things like that I really appreciate. Yeah. And uh, the, 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 Something silly that they just threw in there is having the kids mess with his facial hair. So he actually looks like... Oh my like, God. I love that part. Okay. But the comic, the way he looks in the comic book yes. of Logan is like that with the with the mutton chops, the way that they did yeah, it. Yeah. I love funny. that. That was so, that was so good. Um, we haven't really talked about one of the, the more ingenious moments of the, or decisions in this movie, which is... To acknowledge X Men comics, but then kind of discard X Men comics and have them be 
a, a driving force of this movie that he thinks he's driving to nothing, basically. And he's just like, whatever, I'll get you to North Dakota. Just, you know, leave me alone. There's that scene where she's like pointing at the map yeah. and, mm-hmm. and saying everybody's name, Richter and all this stuff. I, I think that acknowledging the in-universe existence of the X-Men comics is just really smart and really kind of a fun idea. And it gives them leeway to be like, yeah, some of this happened, not quite the way you saw it. Like maybe almost like as if the movies that we've seen were sanitized versions of what really happened. Yeah. Yeah. Cause he's sort of like, Oh, this is just, you know, it's not the same or whatever. And blah, blah. Like, yeah. 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 I like that. It's a little bit meta in that sense. And, and also like an homage to that and not, and, and I think it is also those like little nuggets where while this does feel very standalone and it could be like, if, it just happens to be, you know, with the Wolverine, but like, I think having those moments really kind of lets you have those, uh, like comic moments and like, you know, the, the universe and kind of the callbacks to the other movies, even though like it's very subtle and it's not like in the flashiest of ways in the, in the other thing. But I think it's sort of like the appreciation for the history of it, which I appreciate too, which I'm sure mangled. And, and also, Hugh Jackman and Logan and you know as Logan probably was like we need to really honor this character yeah and it just feels so I mean it must have felt so nice I mean he's not ending it with this but it must have felt so good to go like I remember him in the press tour being like we like you know this is the way he's gonna go out and like it's like a very fitting end and like I don't know any other characters or I mean I guess there's Robert Downey Jr. like as Iron Man that went out very you know well far so we'll far, see. so far, yeah. Well, he might come back, but and Captain America. But I feel like with yeah. like a nice, like a twenty, like almost twenty year run as a character mm-hmm. to go out the way you think this character would actually play out, and not like in the, you know, just bringing him back for whatever reason. I don't know. I feel like Logan. It just feels like it must have been so satisfying for them to do this in this way, and not have to be this like we're saving the world, you know, <laughs> that kind of thing. It feels like they said everything that they wanted to say in this one. And if he comes back, like he's coming back for Deadpool 3, like that's just kind of the cherry on top. But at this point, he got the movie, uh, the story for this character that that they wanted to tell. And like even having the X-Men comics as part of it, it works in, into the plot where it's Logan sort of denying his own, uh, you know, legacy, his own legend as a, as a hero and be like, yeah, that's not me. Cause he's way he's down by everything that. he's done. Yeah. Yeah, yeah mm-hmm. exactly. He yeah. can't, you know, but it still inspires Laura to turn that, that cross sideways. On oh his my grave. God. So was, that, I love that. Which is one of the best final frames in this franchise, probably the best final frame in this franchise and Logan's dying words. So this is what it feels like. What do you think he was, what do you think he meant by that? I mean, it can mean so much, right? Yeah. I mean, maybe his love for Laura, maybe like true unconditional love, because I mean, he had it sort of with gray and maybe, you know, like a love of, I don't know. I mean, with Charles, peace I feel like he, he, too, he, like he feels at peace. It's, it could yeah, be a bunch of stuff. I feel, I feel like it could be a, a culmination of everything. Like finally I get to just rest and also yeah. have done something good for my last thing, you know, like by saving Laura. Yeah. So I think it, it, it's a little bit of, in my eyes, I want to think that it's, it's that it's both those things. It's like peace and also um, like 
just the love, like unconditional because love of a child. I mean, I don't have a child, but um, you can maybe speak to it. But yeah. in terms of like being a child with like parents, I know like I feel unconditional love from them. So I feel like maybe he finally felt that for the first time. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah I think so. It's also, you mentioned, uh, we mentioned Iron Man a minute ago. That's kind of his dying moment too is, yeah, you know, Pepper Potts being like, it's okay. You can rest. We're going to be okay. Everything yeah. that kind of moments so is very, it's kind of paralleling those two actors who carried this franchises for 20 years. Uh, is there anything else before we start winding down about Logan that we haven't mentioned that you wanted to throw out there? No, I think it still holds up very well. I yeah, I was a little worried that it was going to be, you know, given that w- even within six years, we've had so much content in terms of mm-hmm. being the superhero thing that I was like, oh, how is this going to feel? Is going to feel really basic or, you know, not as good as I remember it six years ago. But I have to say it actually made me really long for or hope for maybe people to do these kind of things for other superhero, like where it fits, you know, I think, I don't know where, uh, what other characters could happen, but I feel like I wish we would go back to sort of this. Like, I feel like this movie, the Christopher Nolan movies, maybe even not the bat, the original Batman one, but like these were trying to like the, the grittiness of like comic books and not just having to do it for like, the kids and the, I feel like there's like a lot of untapped potential in doing like a more adult thing, like with Logan that they haven't really explored. And I don't know if they can now because, you know, they're all Disney fight and stuff, but I feel like, I hope there's some hope in the future for something like this again, because it really is just so good. Yeah. It's after watching all of these movies for this podcast too, it's, I'm really curious to see what Marvel studios is going to do, what they're going to do, what lessons they're going to learn from these films, what they're going to kind of repeat, what they're going to do differently. Like uh, where would you draw inspiration from it and all of that? That being said, what would you say is the legacy of the X-Men movie franchise? What does it contribute to cinema or the superhero genre? Oh, it's, I don't know. I I guess thinking about it now after all this, I didn't realize the first one was in 2000 (laughs) and it just makes you feel old, but um, it feels like it was of its, of its time. Like I feel like the earlier ones are very much like a capsule in time, like all movies are in some ways, but some feel a little bit more timeless and, and, and because, you know, they're not so specific or I don't know the master, the mastery of the filmmakers that make it feel timeless. But and also I think it, it showed like these, like the ensemble of characters. I feel like maybe, you know, like the the previous iterations where it had just been like Batman, Superman kind of thing. And I think X-Men really showed like you can have an ensemble of characters. And then I think it kind of led the way for like these other, you know, Guardians of the Galaxy and, you know, even in the, in the Avengers and things like that, to show it on screen, at least that there can be like an ensemble of characters and also have big names attached to it. I think maybe... That's sort of like the likes. And also I just think of them and it, and it makes, makes, makes me smile because it is very odd in some ways, like like Storm and Rogue. And like, I remember uh, one of my favorite, uh, what's his name? It's played by Cummings. What's his name? Oh, Alan Cummings, Nightcrawler? Yeah, Nightcrawler. Like there's just like really odd moments in the, in these franchises as well. And I yeah. kind of love the kookiness of it. It's different than like the the superhero movies that we have now, like I feel like it was also very explicit in some ways that we wouldn't have like now. So I don't know. It was just a really, I, I look fondly even at the, the ones that are not as good. 
Yeah. I kind of have always had a soft spot for the X-Men. Maybe because it was like before the canon of all these other superhero genres, before it was cool to be a, a superhero movie. I think they were the ones really like that started kind of this all of, I mean, for better or worse. Right. But, right. Uh, but they kind of, they didn't start the superhero thing, but I think where we're at now is maybe cause it's been 20 some years and Iron Man was 2010. So they were really the, the beginning of it, I think. Yeah. Well, I've, and I've mentioned this before on the show is before the original X-Men, the big screen, the, you know, theatrically released Marvel comics movies were blade and Howard the Duck. And, and so Howard the Duck came in like 87, 86, whenever that was. And then Blade a little over a decade later. And then X-Men. And then after that, Spider-Man, Daredevil, Electro, Fantastic Four, Iron Man, et cetera, et cetera. Everything that has come after. So it's really... It was groundbreaking. Yeah, it really was in a lot of ways. And I think part of the kookiness is Spider-Man and all these other characters get specific origin stories, most of the X-Men movies are just like, we all have crazy genes. This person controls the weather. This person teleports. It's just a blanket explanation for everybody's They're mutants. Yeah. 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 Now that I think about it. Yeah. I think that's maybe why I like it too, because it's not so complicated. Like, it's like it, it, what it, it just was. And like, I feel like it's also kind of, I miss those times too, where you don't have to over explain. You don't have to use a whole movie for like a whole origin story. Like just like let the audience take it in. They'll figure it out, you know? And I think that's what was cool about the X-Men series. Like you just wanted to see the different characters and be like, Oh, who's going to be the new one in the next one? You know, like what new superpower. And that's, that was really fun about watching those. Yeah. Apparently back in the, in the sixties when Stan Lee and Jack Kirby created the X-Men in an interview in 2004, Stan Lee said, I couldn't have everybody bitten by a radioactive spider or exposed to a gamma ray explosion. And I took the cowardly way out. I said to myself, why don't I just say they're mutants? They're born that way. So the <laughs> Lady Gaga answer, basically, they're just yeah, born that way, which, yeah. you know, what's not to love about that. So what are your top three of these, uh, of these movies, non Deadpool, obviously. Yes. So, and I'm also not going to count Logan because I think he, or should I count Logan? Yeah. I mean, I would count Logan okay. as part of this. Yeah. That we're yeah. yeah. So Logan's one of them. And then I was trying to think back at the ones that I really like remember or, or, you know, really kind of loved. And I, and I always have a soft spot for the first movie. So I have to do X-Men, the first X-Men, uh, cause that's kind of what kick started everything. And then, um, and then I guess the the last one would have been the I think it's the the is the Quicksilver the one the Days of Future Past where he has that scene. Quick, quick, yeah, he Quicksilver has Quicksilver. Uh, has a, he has a, also has a scene in Apocalypse, but yeah, Days of Future Past is the, the time one in Michael, a bottle scene. Yeah, yeah, yeah. so breaking er, him out. Yeah, and I think I really love I love that one. Like I feel like it was a cool. I like that they were able to kind of, and I think it was like also one of the first one, like I know we have all the multiverses now, but like, I feel like that was really kind of setting up um, sort of for better or worse again, (laughs) what we have now, but it was, it's cool. Like having like the going back in time and I don't know. I liked, and then I, I think they really cast well in terms of like James McAvoy and um, Michael Fassbender as like Magneto. And and so I I loved both of I I love I love all three of those and then the rest are kind of in there but I don't really remember them as much or they don't really have like a stamp in my in my mind. 
Right. No, I think McAvoy and Fassbender, like, uh, you don't realize what an asset they are until the movies aren't as good. And they're like, oh my gosh, thank God I have these people here to make this watchable (laughs) or to do what they can at least. But yeah, yeah. They're trying their best. (laughs) Yeah. And they're such gifted actors that like, they can't help but do something with it, even if it's yeah. is all over the place, which again is the part of the fun of doing a, a podcast run on these movies because they are literally all over the place. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's, yeah, it's, and I, it's very and I think it's the first one, right? Where we see Magne- a little bit of Magneto storyline. Is that the, not the, with the Nazis and stuff where, and the first the movie, one? Yeah, in the first movie you get yeah. the, it, and, the yeah the, the opening original movie scene. opens with it. Yeah, yeah, I re- I love that scene. Like I just um or I love that storyline. Then it kind of gets us into you know like the where they're at and um yeah and Magneto and Sorry and McKellen like and him and Charles like the best duo of all time. Yeah. So having definitely. those two powerhouses like anchor, I think they really kind of set a template for um like having like theatrical. Uh, well regarded like you know um Shakespearean like actors. The classically yeah, Shakespeare, trained yeah. actors like playing yeah, comic like, book. yeah yeah being in the comic books so I feel like that's also a legacy of like hey let's get like, it doesn't have to be kooky and like you know um we can get these actors and they bring a lot of gravitas and like stuff to to these uh to these characters although I mean the characters if you think about like they're really flawed and it, they kind of a lot of the superhero characters have a lot of trauma and, and uh, backstory. Like it, it just plays really well cinematically. So yeah, I think sometimes we give it, we give it a lot of like a, a hard time or like we don't take them too seriously. But I was like, if you really dive into like what these, like all these like Spider-Man, Batman, everything, like it's a lot of shit that they've gone through. Like it's really, so that's mm-hmm. why I think it kind of lent itself well in Logan because like it, you strip away all the CG and all the saving the world. Like it is a powerful dramatic story of this person who's gone through like hell and back. So yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I, he goes through hell and back in this movie. Even yeah, I mean, does, it's, yeah. it's really, yeah, it's really a microcosm of his whole journey, but no, this was so much fun. Kat, thank you so much for coming on the show to talk about Logan. Uh, I, I, this is, this is obviously one of the most beloved films in this franchise. So I, I'm glad we were able to, uh, do, do it justice. Um, can you tell people where you, where they can find you on social media? Yes. You can find me on Instagram and Twitter, mostly at things cat loves. Which, which, by the way, I am tickled to no end that now Twitter is known as X while I'm in the middle oh, of doing yeah. this Oh, my God, this yeah. Franchise. <laughs> yeah, I sorry. Like, it's like, I'm never going to get used to that. No, so, nobody and then, is. And then the, when we were on, on binge movies, I was like, you can find me on X, yeah. which sounds like I'm just on ecstasy. Yeah, exactly. So, like, there's no really nice way to say it. No. <laughs> it's almost like, it feels like it's like a... So, some it just makes Elon happy just to hear us all be like, we're on X, and they're like he's like giggling in the corner. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I just don't you want it to, to be taken that. out of context. Like, I'm not yeah. on X, guys. I'm on X normally, <laughs> formally on Twitter as things get the, the social media site formerly known as Twitter. Yeah, is what we're gonna have to go <laughs> and by then it now. It's like the artist nor formerly yeah. known as Prince. Like, I don't know, exactly. it just, it's so weird. <laughs> Yeah, but fitting for this episode. Yeah, 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 exactly, exactly. Now this was a blast, and we'll definitely get you back on here at some point. Yes, thanks for having me again. It was so much fun, and I was so happy I did this because revisiting Logan, and I was like, just such a good movie. I was happy to watch it again. 
big thanks to film critic Catherine Gonzalez for coming on to discuss 2017's Logan, the first of these movies to be Oscar-nominated for screenplay, the first comic book movie in general to be nominated for screenplay. I think that's kind of a, a major win awards-wise for the genre. And as Kat and I really got into, a movie that still st- holds up several years later and Will Deadpool 3 tarnish this uh, as the final statement of Hugh Jackman's Wolverine? I guess we'll have to wait and see. But for now, I want to know, what are your thoughts on Logan? Is it overrated? Is it one of the best comic book movies ever made? Where do you land? Let me know. You can find me on social media all over the place, at Crooked Table, and via email, robert at crookedtable.com. For now, that's a wrap on another Crooked Table production. We'll be back with 2019's Dark Phoenix in the next episode, closing out this X-Men mega series? Question mark? Catch you at the next stop, everyone. This has been a production of CrookedTable.com. All rights reserved. That's the yard of the little KED.